Well, good evening, everybody. If you remember, um, two weeks ago, we were in chapter 9 of the book of Leviticus. The priesthood had been consecrated. The official worship, uh, 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 well, the, uh, the manner of worship and the means of atonement that God had prescribed was now fully in place. It was, in essence, in many ways, where they really became a people, because now they had a centralized worship system. Um, they were the covenant people. It's now fully in force. The priests were do exactly, exactly as God had prescribed. They were not to deviate from God's rules one little bit. There was zero wiggle room. Just as it was when God said, when you make this, this, the, the, the stuff, uh, the furnishings and the altars and all that for the tabernacle, make sure you do it as was told you on the mountain. Matter of fact, it says do it exactly as was told you. It's no different in the priestly function. Well, unfortunately, it didn't take long for things to go badly with Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. So I'm going to ask you to stand, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 10. We're going to just look at the first seven verses tonight. Next week, we'll finish out the chapter, God willing. First, let's pray and we'll read. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does let us know that we need you every hour. And we also thank you, Lord, that your word does let us know that you're there every hour, that you're with us, you're for us, not against us. And so we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your word. We're reminded of what the scriptures tell us, that what was written in the past was written for our encouragement so that we might have hope. And so we hope in what was written in the past. We have hope as we study tonight's passage. And that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with the lavished wisdom and insight that you've given us, we would understand what you say to us tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says tonight. Now Dadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzapan, the son of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near and carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your head, of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not, do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Nadab and Abihu. They were consecrated priests. Remember in Leviticus 8.30, it says this, And Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So Nadab and Abihu were priests. They were not high priests, but they were priests. They had priestly functions. We don't know really what they were to do. We know that they were there when Aaron made offerings. They handed Aaron the blood. We know that much. We know more about the high priest's daily function than anything else, at least the way I read it. But verse 1 tells us this. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The word censer. The censer is very important in the worship of God in the Old Testament. Actually, I don't remember reading anything about how the censer was made in the making of the articles of the tabernacle. We don't know, but it is absolutely central. It's, it's uh, matat. It means really a fire holder or fire pan. We should probably not have in our minds what we may have from within the Catholic Church, where he has it on the, and he shakes it, it's round, and incense comes up. It was more like a frying pan um, that they would hold with hot coals from a specific place, we'll get into that later, in which they would put incense. But censers are very central to the worship of God. Censers were used to distinguish who God chose when Korah rebelled against God, against Moses. And it says in Numbers chapter 16 that says, You, 300 or 180 men, you take your censers with fire. We're going to take our censers with fire. We're going to meet before the Lord. And so censers were central to this, however it was. And God will, God will choose who he's going to choose. And fire came out and consumed Korah and all those guys because they were not the chosen of the Lord. We even know that King uh, Uzziah, when he grew proud, says that he took a censer and entered into the tabernacle to offer incense as a priest. And if you remember, they said, no, get out of here. You're not to do this. This is not your job. Get out of here. And leprosy broke out upon him, um, and he lived that way the rest of his life. God has a very prescribed manner of presenting incense, particularly on the Day of Atonement. Later on in the book of Leviticus, we're going to read this in chapter 16. And he shall take the censer, that is the high priest, shall take a censer full of coals from fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. Now, if that's the prescribed method, God has said that, I don't know about you, but I think I would be very careful on how I brought incense in before the Lord. I'd be saying, well, he said if I don't do it this way, I'm going to die. So far, 
God has kept his word. He's done everything he said he was going to do. There was no reason for these priests to believe that God would lie about anything, because God cannot lie. But that didn't stop them. We don't know their motive. We don't know why they did it. We, we have no idea as to why they did what they did. But look again at what the text sells, tells us. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it, fire from the altar, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Unauthorized, czar, strange, different heterogeneous, which is a fancy way to say different. It was different than what God had prescribed. How was it unauthorized? That's the question we want to ask ourselves. We would like to ask ourselves, what made it unauthorized? Was it a different kind of incense? Could be. Remember what God said about the incense that is to be used in a tabernacle in Exodus chapter 30, verse 9. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or, burn, or, or, or a burnt offering or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. This is the altar of incense. You're not to use anything that I said not to use. God had a very prescribed incense mixture and rules as to who, is, who it was for. It was for God and God alone. Exodus chapter 30, verses 37 to 38. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. In case you ever wondered what cut off from his people means, that means put to death and quickly, not lollygag around, put to death immediately. This incense was for God and God alone. Was that the issue? Is that what they did? We don't know. Were they even supposed to bring the incense? Was that part of their job? We don't know. We know specifically the high priest was at a certain point in the year. We really don't know. And the best track to take is that what God has not revealed we should not seek out. What God has not revealed, we should not seek out. The real issue for Nadab and Abihu is actually in the last part of the verse. Look at what it says again in verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. With that statement, which he had not commanded them, there may be two possibilities. They knew what they were doing. They said, God didn't say this. They were, or they just didn't care. They just did it their way. They were lazy about it. We don't know. But all, all, well, actually, we can say they knew what God wanted to do. He had not commanded them to do it. God was very specific on what they were to do. Remember what they were doing for, eight, uh, for seven days prior. Going and being consecrated. Going over the rituals. Doing all that they were supposed to do. And they did. They deviated. They did something different than what God had told them to do. 
God's response to their unauthorized fire, of which He did not command them to do, was quick and fatal. It was quick and it was fatal. Look at what it says in verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Whoa! I wonder what it was like to be in the temple complex when this happened. I don't, you know, where something so out of the ordinary happens. Something so amazing happens. You remember a few weeks ago, we were in service and a fire alarm went off. Everybody's like, whoa, you know what? That kind of interruption does not compare to what happened right here, right? I bet if Aaron had fire alarms around, he would gladly go back and say, I'll take a fire alarm any day over this. But this is not the first time that they've seen fire come out from the Lord. If you remember, in the consecration process, as they offered, it says that Fire came out before, look what it says in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 24. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They saw what fire coming out from before the Lord does. It consumes what's in front of it. We may be quick to think that God is just being a little too harsh here. God, come on, really, God? Maybe they got the incense wrong. Maybe they didn't bring enough. Maybe they didn't. We don't really know. But their intention was so good, God, wasn't it? What's the old saying? The highway to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. We should not put our ideas of fairness and of justice upon God. God alone decides what is just and right. God said it was just and it was right for fire to come out and consume them. I like what John Calvin says on this. He says, The severity of the punishment, therefore, would not please those arrogant people who do not hesitate to superstitiate superficially, whatever that is, word, to criticize God's judgment. But if we reflect how holy a thing God's worship is, the enormity of the punishment will by no means offend us. If we reflect how holy a thing God's Worship is the enormity of the punishment will by no means offend us. In other words, if we see how serious the worship of God is, particularly for them, they were the ones that stood between God and man. They were God's representatives. Well, it happened. And Moses puts the situation into perspective for Aaron. Look what it says in verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, 
I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What was Moses talking about? Well, actually, Moses knew what he was talking about because there was a moment in Moses' life in which he did not regard God as holy in front of the people. Where God told Moses when the people were complaining, we need water, we need water, we're, we're out here to die and they don't want to go back to Egypt and all the stuff that they did. And God said to Moses, you go and you speak to that rock. And instead, Moses, what? Struck the rock with his staff, because he just was beyond himself. Out of that, God said later to Moses, because you did not treat me as holy in front of the people, you will never enter the promised land. It is quite interesting to note, that, just as a side note, that though Moses did not honor God in that instance, God honored Moses because he let water come out of the rock. Isn't that interesting? But anyways, so Moses knew that those who are near to God, God says, you are to live in a way in which I will be sanctified in front of the people. In front of the people, I will be glorified. It says that Aaron held his peace. I wonder how hard that was for Aaron. It had to be one of the hardest things Aaron had ever done. Well, Moses calls Aaron's nephews to carry away what remained of Nadab and Abihu. And to be honest, this is to me is a mystery. We know that they were consumed, and yet there was something to carry away. I don't, only God can do that. It says in verses 4 and 5, And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, Carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. Can you imagine that? Just imagine that. Hey, guys, come near. No way, I'm not going near that. What are you kidding me? I know what happens when you go near. Come near. Carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. And so they came and carried them in their coats out of the camp as Moses had said. can only imagine what was going through Aaron's mind as he watched all of this. What was going through the rest of Aaron's sons' minds as they were watching this. The rest of the Levites as they were watching this. The people, as they saw this happen, what's going on? Moses then gives very strict rules about how Aaron and his sons are to react to what happened. Look at what it says in verses 6 and 7. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your head, heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes. Normally that would be a ritual of mourning. They would let their hair down and they would tear their clothes. Moses says, do not do that, lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. 
Not only will you die, God's going to take it out, as it were, give justice, however you want to view it, on the rest of the congregation. This is serious. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Well, what does all this mean? Are you kidding me, Moses? My sons just got, ins- they just got consumed before the Lord, and I'm supposed to do nothing? I'm supposed to hold my peace, not wail, not mourn, not anything? Isn't that exactly what God told Ezekiel? When God struck down Ezekiel's wife, he says, don't you cry about that. We don't know the mind of God. But why were they not to? Because of the severity of the situation. The severity of what they had done. The the severity of who God is in His holiness. That God was not to be trifled with here. That what they did was so wrong and so bad and treated God in such a way that uh, to make Him as unholy, treated Him as unholy. God says, you're not to mourn that. When somebody profanes me like that and I enact justice on them, you, the priest, because you are near me, because you stand between me and God, you don't cry about that. You let everyone else bewail that. You let everyone else ask God about that. You let everyone else be concerned about that. But for me, you're to be holy. I'm holy. You're to treat me as holy. God was making it very clear you're not to deviate from any of this. I like what Kenneth Matthew says in his commentary. God was not cold-hearted about Aaron's feelings regarding his sons. Nor was he punishing Aaron for his son's behavior. God was saying that Aaron must put his relationship with him first, above all others. Aaron's spiritual priority was to remain holy in order to carry out his duties for the sake of the community. With his privileges, however, came solemn, even deadly responsibility. What an amazing story. Well, there are lessons to learn in this. If I were to ask you what is the most obvious lesson to learn, probably one word would come to your mind. What would it be? Obedience. There we go. Obedience would be the most obvious lesson. Peter, writing to his audience, says this in 1 Peter 13 to 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You think God cares about obedience? Absolutely. He says obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than the fat of rams. There's also a lesson for those who teach God's Word. 
for those who teach God's word. We don't have a priesthood to stand between us and God anymore. The closest comparison to have would be pastors, teachers. James tells us this in James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Right? You want to be the mouthpiece for God? You want to give the oracles of God? You want to uh, expound the mysteries of God? Well, you better be correct in what you're saying. Because God will judge teachers, not just pastors, but teachers. Those who teach God's word will be held accountable for how they teach God's word. Teachers do not stand between God and man, as the Old Testament priests did. Imagine that. Imagine if your salvation depended upon me. Yeah, yipes was the exact right word. Yep, that's right. You didn't be in trouble. And if mine depended upon you, I would be in trouble too. Because no one is able to stand between us and God other than Jesus Christ, our mediator. It's what Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Why could Jesus be the mediator? The priest offers sacrifice on behalf of people. Christ himself is the high priest and the sacrifice. In Hebrews 9, 11 and 15, we read this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats, blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. As I said, teachers of God's word, not just pastors, are responsible before God to explain the scriptures clearly and accurately so as not to be ashamed before God. That should be all of our goal. That I want to rightly divide God's word. All Christians should strive in our personal study of God's word so that we would all believe correctly. In 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is a much greater need for today than I think it ever has been in the history of the church. We don't want to be amongst those of whom Amos says that a day is coming where there will be a famine, not of bread and water, but of the hearing of the word of God. Imagine being deprived of God's word. 
do your best now. Why we have this in our hands, why we have this in our possession, to make sure we know it, we love it, we seek out its truth. But there's another lesson from Nadab and Abihu, one we may not think of. That God's reactions to such sin, what may seem to us to be trivial, but not to God. But though Nadab and Abihu were not shown grace, they could not have been shown grace. But there is grace for sinners today. Thanks be to God. What if every time we came to church, right? Because it would only be one time he came to church. And you did it the wrong way. And right where you're sitting, that's it. You just got incinerated by God, right? There'd be nobody. The building would be empty, right? There'd be doctor's offices here. There would be no church here. Thanks be to God. All of that has been absorbed in Jesus Christ. All of it. There's grace for sinners today. What does the Bible tell us? What did Jesus tell us in John 3, 17? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And if you're in Christ Jesus, yes, you'll sin. Yes, you'll fall. But you won't fall forever. Because as Romans 8, 1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But because that's true, we better be sure that we just don't take God's grace for granted. Do not take God's grace for granted. Just because He's not consuming people with fire today doesn't mean we can take God's grace for granted. I wonder if Nadab and Abihu did. I wonder if they just figured God would, you know, God doesn't really care about this. Well, if they did, they found out real quick that God does care. But what should you and I do with the grace that's been given to us? As it says in Romans eleven twenty two, and we'll end with this. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in this kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Nadab and Abihu brought to God something he did not command them. May we not bring to God what he has not commanded us. God has prescribed to us in his holy word how we are to worship on this side of the cross. And may we do so to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, it's tough to think that two guys, their lives, lives were over, lost, their families devastated because they treated you in a unworthy manner, an unholy manner. Lord, that shows us your greatness. You are great and you are holy. Lord, may we never take your greatness, your holiness, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy to us in Christ Jesus for granted. But may, rather, we all the more set apart the Lord Jesus Christ as holy in our hearts.
We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. Though we may not understand what God is doing, I know that I will trust him because he has not let me down. He is the most certain thing that we could always bank on. And with that, you know, we, we, we have to trust and obey him. 571. We'll do one, two, three, and five. You know what? We've got a lot of time. Let's just do it all. <laughs> all right, 571. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And then we're going to close in a doxology. Praise God for whom all blessings flow.
praise him all creatures here below praise him above ye heavenly hosts praise father son and holy ghost amen amen